Good morning, everyone. This morning we find ourselves in Exodus 21. I had a little humor in me this morning. Uh, I woke up and came down, and I use this very early in the morning, first thing of the day, and I take a little time to study what it is I'm about to teach to you guys, and then I go ahead and teach from the Word. Well, I didn't really look ahead after going through the Ten Commandments yesterday, and we I get down here, and this is my, I have Bible study coming up in, in, in not too distant future this morning with, with some men, and I'm like, Lord, not today. Uh, you know, right away, we're going to deal with the issue of slavery, and I'm like, oh, Lord, please help me. So anyways, um, I am ready, though, and here we go in Exodus 21. Now, these are the ordinances which you are to set before them as God begins to give the law. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve permanently. Now, this was an ordinance for slavery amidst the Hebrews if someone sold themselves. And why would they do that, perhaps because they had no possessions, they felt like they were going to be better off um, serving as a slave to a master uh, versus being out on their own in, in risk of survival. And even in this then, there was honor given to the wife, to the children, uh, the fact that the person could go free after a certain amount of time, and if not, they could choose to stay. Now, this is for Hebrew slavery. As we go through the Old Testament, we'll see that there were also slaves that were not Hebrew, and they didn't have these same rules. Someone could become a permanent slave. <clears throat> and let's talk about this for a bit. First of all, what I want you to recall is we're dealing with a time in history that's 3,500 plus years before where we are today. The Bible did not create slavery. The Bible inherited slavery. That's something that was very existent in culture. And it wasn't written of, but in instances, the Bible, what it does is it elevates slavery and it asks for right treatment of slaves. So it didn't condone it, but there again, that wasn't even a thought in that culture. You know, I just recently got done with a class about American history, and it was very interesting seeing what happened in the United States of America in the 16th, 17th, and 1800s in the debate regarding slavery. And Christians really took a strong stance on um, emancipation, on making slavery illegal. And in fact, if you think about this, one of the most significant, costly wars of so many American lives was the Civil War. And one of the most significant issues of the Civil War was setting slaves free. And the South, who was very uh, in America, the Southerners who were very 
um, who needed those slaves to work their farms didn't want to give up that right. And the North fought against the South and the North eventually won. And we rid America of slavery. And so many times America, you know, people get mad at America for its slavery in the past. Well, there again, slavery was a part of history all the way up until that time. And America ended up ridding itself of slavery. You know, praise God for that. Now, it was an awful abuse. And typically when we think of slavery in America, we think of African slavery, we think of blacks being slaves, we think of uh, and it was horrible. People would be uh, forced on ships. I don't actually know what it was like to be a uh, you know a black person in Africa and how they actually got on those ships and all that. But uh, it wasn't good. And then they were sold as chattel. They did not have the same rights as everybody else. And it was an awful thing. And when we think of slavery in America, we typically think of, or when we think of slavery, we typically think of that. We think of black African slavery that happened in our country uh, in, in the generations before us. Well, that's not exactly biblical slavery, meaning what we perceive it to be from our history when we've been around in America compared to what it was in the Bible is different. Now, one of the things you have to recall that in 3,600 years ago-ish, the world was a brutal place. I mean, when you would go to war with a, a city, you would many times destroy the city, you destroy the people of the city. And that, that this is not an uncommon thing. But slavery then sometimes was a way, well, we're not going to destroy you. And instead, we'll make you our slaves. So there was actually an act of grace or mercy in not killing the people, but instead allowing them to live through slavery. Now, <clears throat> if you've been following our teaching, and I spent a lot of time talking about this point, in order to understand today things better, we need to look at it from a New Testament lens. So right now, we just read about slavery from the Old Testament, but I want to take you to some passages in the New Testament to see what was said about slavery. Now, one of the, the there's a whole book of the Bible, one book, it's, I guess you shouldn't call it maybe a book per se, because it's just a one page letter, but it's called Philemon. And there was, uh, Philemon was uh, a runaway slave who had met Paul in and Paul led him to the Lord. And then Paul knew Philemon who, who had the slave. It was a Christian man who had the slave. And Paul wrote a letter to Philemon in, and sent Onesimus back to him. And this is what he had to say. I, I appeal to you, Paul said, for my child Onesimus, the slave, whom I begotten in my imprisonment, um, so Paul was in prison. Onesimus came to visit him. Paul ended up leading him to the Lord. And, and Paul says, who was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And he's saying that because Onesimus came to the Lord. And, you know, regarding God's kingdom, we're pretty useless. We are useless. Until we come to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can't serve rightly God's kingdom. So it's really important we get that right. And now when we believe in Jesus... We have a use for God's kingdom. We can we can be used for kingdom purposes. So that's what happened to Onesimus, and he's sending him back now. Philemon was a Christian. He's sending Onesimus back as a Christian. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. Look at how the warmth, affection that Paul has for this 
slave, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you then regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. And what a what a beautiful thing. You know, Paul is is asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as a fellow brother, and he really is expecting him to do that. So here we see a, a great elevation taking place there. Listen to um, Ephesians 6, 9. Uh, and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 9 there is saying is treat treat them without threatening and know that just as Jesus is your master, he's master to them too. And there's no partiality. There's no difference in Jesus's eyes between you and them. And then <clears throat> one other uh, verse, if I can find it quickly. Uh, oh, listen to this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to the promise. So here again, we're seeing that there's no difference between you know, a slave and someone else. In God's eyes, they're all the same. Now, did the Bible, you know, in Jesus' day, that's still over 2,000 years ago, did the Bible completely rid, its, rid the world of slavery? Well, over time it did, as God changed man's hearts. The, you know, now, slavery is still taking place in the world today. There's still, unfortunately, people mistreated all over the world in this way. But in, in large part, um, you see Christianity improving slavery and ultimately in America and many places of the world getting rid of slavery. So when we would be asked, how does the Bible view slavery today? We would have to look at it through a New Testament lens. And we see a completely different picture than what we saw in America, say in the 16th, 17th and 1800s regarding black African slavery, which was a, which was an awful thing. So um, I hope that helps give a, uh, overview. There's so much more we could study, but on slavery. Now, it's not going to necessarily get easier for me here. Listen to this. And I believe this has to do with a Hebrew person, so a, a Jew, someone who was a part of the Exodus. And it says, if a man sells his daughter as a female slave, now what a shame that would be, she is not to go free as the male slaves do. Now, what he means by that Listen, he's actually elevating it and saying that these these females that were sold need to be taken care of. He says, if she is displeasing in the eyes of her master, meaning the one who bought her, uh, if he designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. Meaning, if she if if if, if the person who bought the female slave didn't want her anymore, he has to let her be redeemed. Someone needs can come and and buy her back 
instead of him mistreating her. He does not have authority to sell her to foreign people because of his unfairness to her. So basically, if he doesn't treat her well, he's being unfair, and she he's got to allow her to be redeemed. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters, meaning he's got to now treat her like a daughter. If he takes to himself another woman, he may not reduce her food, her clothing, or her conjugal rights. If he will not do these things for her, then she shall go out for nothing without payment or money. So if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, in this case, then she should she leaves for free. She doesn't even have to be redeemed. So, you know, I wish, uh, I wish you know, 3,600 years ago, 2,000 years ago, that we would have um, wised up sooner and rid the world of slavery. Uh, that's not the case. But over time, that did happen. And the Bible gave greater rights and greater treatment, whether old or new, and it even improved in the new even more, to slavery. Um, so understand the culture of the day and what the Bible actually did in improving it, rather than blaming the Bible it did not create slavery. That was part of culture. All right, moving on. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Now, we're going to get into basically a, a, a set of verses here that deals with the death penalty and a lot of it. And, um, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. Like, the laws that God gave here, he made things very black and white and, like, you know, he he made penalties severe for being a buffoon and doing the wrong thing. And that is very likely to read to the right thing, right? Like if you could be killed for stealing from your neighbor, uh, you, you likely are not going to be stealing, right? So God's trying to, to get people to do the right thing. And again, their whole culture was a, a, a lot harsher not only the surrounding culture, but even how these people grew up and stuff. And so they had laws that were stricter. And uh, maybe we need stricter laws today. Anyways, he who strikes a man that he and he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place which he may flee. Meaning, let's say you just got in a fight with somebody. You weren't trying to kill them, but then they died. Now God's given you a safe place to flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, meaning he designed, he, he tried and designed to set up to kill his neighbor, you were to take him even from my altar that he may die. So he's supposed to die. If he murdered someone like in cold blood, it wasn't like an accident. He who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. If men have a quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall not pay for his loss of time and he shall take care of him until he is completely healed. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod... You know, we've already talked about that. That shouldn't be done. And he dies at his hand. He shall be punished. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. 
If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with a child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall point as a penalty, life for life, eye for eye. Now we heard Jesus talk about this a little bit in the New Testament. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So, listen, you, if you do something wrong in the Old Testament like this, you can be paid in the same way that you did wrong. Um, now, another thing that I want to mention as we're talking about this, God has brought out a nation out of Egypt, and they have no government, they have no laws, they have no rules to go by, and God is giving them the rules to govern their society by so that they will honor him and he's making very strict rules but but you shouldn't do this stuff right you shouldn't curse your father and mother you shouldn't kill somebody you shouldn't kidnap somebody right and he's giving them a, a clear rules so that they will live to honor him they needed a level of organization now we now have a government right so now we have we, we're supposed to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus and His Word, but we have a government, and a government is in place to uh, adhere laws. So you know, eventually in the New Testament, you know, Jesus. I mean, He's in charge of everything. But like as a human on Earth, He wasn't in charge of the government. The Jews weren't in charge. The Bible wasn't the enforcing document for the government. The Roman Empire was in charge, and at that time, then they had to fall in line. To a certain extent, unless it meant not following Jesus, they had to fall in line with the government. So, you know, these are governmental laws, so to speak, set up by God. Now we have the law of the land of America or wherever you may live. Now, the our, our governors, our people that are in charge should be looking at the things God has said throughout history to see what is right and wrong. But now we're governed by that set of laws instead of the, the law of God. Anyways... Let's keep going. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on an account of his eye. So if, that's another way if a slave would be treated better than perhaps the surrounding people. And if he knocks out a tooth, his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. There again, don't don't treat, mistreat slaves or you're going to set them free. Now this is kind of interesting, right? And we're going to see a lot of things that don't, exactly pertain to most of us, but I think there's ways that these could be interpreted to pertain to us. It says, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring, and its owner had been warned, yet he does not confine it, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. So there was a responsibility of the owner to care for his herds. And uh, very interesting, right? Kind of reminds me of like if you have a dog that you know has viciously bit people in the past, you know, there's a greater responsibility you have in managing that dog because you know it it can do that. Um, so, you know, there's some of that that gets argued in the courts today as far as responsibility for something of that nature. If a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give the redemption of his life, whatever is demanded of him. 
Whether it gores a son or a daughter, it shall be done to him according to the same rule. If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If a man opens a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, which would be a mistake, right? And an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead animal shall become his. If a man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide its price equally, and also they shall divide the dead ox. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not confined it, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall become his. So, listen, we're going to get into some seasons as we go through Scripture that Man, I hope that you have endurance, you have perseverance, you have stick to itness, uh, that you learn the whole counsel of God's word because you're going to find nuggets, you're going to find things of importance that you will learn by going through the Bible. But th- there's going to be things that we're going to learn and read about that are no longer applicable to us or our culture in the Old Testament law because we're not under that system anymore but we're going to we're going to we need to understand it so we can understand what Jesus freed us from uh this also obviously was a very agricultural you know society i mean nowadays we have grocery stores with refrigeration and most of us don't have oxes and things of that nature but this is what they had then and we still need to understand it so Listen, don't give up no matter what we're going through. Stick with it. Learn the whole counsel of God's word. You and the people that you influence for the rest of your life will be blessed if you become a student of the whole thing. God bless you all.